Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. Welcome to 2021. Welcome to the new year. Hopefully, everyone had a had a great holiday. If you had a holiday break, hopefully that was nice and relaxing. I was able to take a little time off. I always joke that I live my life like I'm still in grade school um, or live my like I still celebrate the holidays like I'm in grade school because I've been fortunate enough that I'm still able to take usually a full two weeks off around work or not around work around the holidays. And the way my work work does it is they always give the time off between Christmas Day and New Year, not even as vacation days. They call them season days, and they just give them to the employees um, so you don't even have to take it from your vacation bank. Um, so I always take uh, time off, but like I had a full two weeks off of work, but I only had actually had to take three work days off just the way that my work gives out holidays and uh, these then the season days. So I had a nice break, nice and relaxing. Hopefully everybody else did. Um, it's funny because I hadn't, I, I didn't have this on the agenda to talk about, but I'll mention um, the Superman gifts that I got for Christmas. I thought I was going to go the whole day without, um, and I say the whole day because we open presents with the kids and stuff in the morning. Christmas morning, and then usually my in-laws come over, and we open gifts then with them as well, and I get some stuff from them, and so I thought I was going to go um, Christmas Day without any getting anything Superman-related, and then, um, which which is fine, I, I have tons of Superman stuff already, and so, and I'm picky in terms of what I want in terms of Superman, uh, I'm not just into any old thing, and usually... I'm always, my, my wife always jokes that I don't, or we always have a thing in my house that it's hard to surprise me because I'm such, I'm so into my hobbies. I'm so deep into my hobbies that I know everything that's coming out, that's, that's, that's happening. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, um, for those of you who love Superman the movie, which if you're listening to this podcast, how can you not love Superman the movie? Mondo, um... I don't know if they, like, Mondo, I know them from creating sort of, like, boutique uh, posters and things for classic movies and whatnot. They'll do these boutique runs of um, cool posters, but I guess they're getting into releasing music, too. Um, or maybe they always have been, I didn't know it. I always see online, like, oh, Mondo's releasing a new poster for Back to the Future or Ghostbusters or something. But Mondo is teaming up with um, Warner Tower or like a Warner Brothers, like the 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 music side of the DC um, always comes out. I think it's like Warner Tower music, I think. And they're releasing a bunch of DC stuff this year. But of note is that they're re-releasing Superman the movie on vinyl. So no release date's been announced, just that it's coming out sometime in 2021. And so that's, go that's got me excited. Uh, I have the, I bought the, classic um 1978 release from ebay a few years ago i picked up you know uh vinyls getting to be a pretty cool or you know it's picking back up steam you can get cool um vinyl that's cool colors and stuff like we got the teenage mutant ninja turtles soundtrack it's got it's in cool green and for turtles and green and i think one of them is purple for donatello my wife got to pick out the color because mondo 
actually it was Waxwork Records was releasing the Turtles soundtrack. And either, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't, it's, it's, I'm not giving any, any new news away. The vinyl's been picking up steam for a while now. I think living in such a digital age, I mean, I'm, you know, as much of this type of person as anybody, just where we've gone digital with everything now, movies and things, that vinyl just has this classic tangible feel. We don't, you know, you, you, you see album covers in full size um, in their vinyl slip cases instead of, you know, what is that, like 12 inches? Or, I mean, well, it's, no, it's bigger than 12 inches. Whatever the, you know, the, the square record size um, artwork is, you see it full size. It's just awesome. Instead of, you know, a little tiny thumbnail on your phone that indicates what album you're listening to. I think people, more so than movies, because um, movies, you still, you, you, whether you stream it or you pop in a Blu ray, you're still more, for the most part, watching it on your TV. Like the experience, is sort of the same. I mean, you don't have a maybe you if if, if you're streaming, you don't have a uh, physical Blu-ray to look at the cover. But I think with movie with music, it's, it's a little bit different. I've gotten way off on a tangent, but so be on the lookout for Mondo um, to release the Superman the movie soundtrack. I hope it's a cool. Um, I, I hope the original soundtrack was um, it was it was just one disc no no, no. It, it was two right uh i have it but i can't i can't um i can't picture if it was one or two one or two vinyls at the moment um but i hope that mondo does a cool set some awesome artwork you know it'd be sweet to have a blue and red if it's for a double lp or whatever um how do i even start talking about this oh nobody i'm always up on the news and this was released or this was announced yesterday so nothing can really slip by me in terms of my big my big hobbies and so it's tough and i buy stuff to my for myself throughout the year so i wasn't expecting anything superman related but my brother-in-law got me a i guess he didn't have any idea what to buy me and he got me a um some a superman superman um whatchamacallit, foot, it goes in your car, the, where your feet go, the, uh, um, the insert there for the, uh, that, you know, you take it out, you got to vacuum it, uh, whatever it is, what your feet sit on, can't think of, I'm blanking on the name of that, uh, at the moment, but for the car, and they, they didn't fit, unfortunately, um, so they had the Superman symbol on them, um, it was pretty cool, but they don't fit the car, unfortunately, but he also got me a, like a license plate cover that's got a nice chrome license plate cover that's got uh, the Superman symbol going around the the not license plate yeah the license plate um, uh, frame or whatever for the rear license plate so that's that's pretty cool and that's on the car I put that on and then I got the I'm really like Alex Ross art who who doesn't. And I got uh, a couple of art books, actually. One was the Dynamite art of Alex Ross. That's not Superman-related, but um, for all of his Dynamite work, which I haven't read any of his Dynamite work, but I just but they put out an art book uh, for all of his Dynamite work. Uh, but my in-laws got me the Rough Justice um, table, table book, Alex Ross table book showing a lot of Alex Ross pencils, his roughs and things before he goes into his painted final paintings. And so that's really cool. That's Superman related because there's Superman in there. Um, 
but it was a light it was a light Superman year, but that's fine. I always get I always get Superman stuff. I was actually expecting not to get anything Superman related this year, so it was cool to get some stuff. Um, write in, let me know what you guys got for Superman. If you got anything uh, really cool Superman related gifts this year, I'd like to and uh, shoot me pictures. Uh, blue blue gold podcast at gmail dot com. You can write in, shoot, send me pictures. I would like to see it. Um, so today's topic, I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be covering, reviewing Booster Gold Volume 1, number 10, picking up where I left off last time. I know I've had, I've ranted in the past that I want to make sure that I don't get bored and I want to read what I want to read, but I'm still working my way through um, and, and might as well do reviews of the Booster Gold hardcover. So this is still from the Big Fall. I finished the Big Fall. Um, which is issues one through twelve, but I haven't reviewed them on the podcast. So even though I can still review it, like the next episode probably won't be from it. Probably won't be issue eleven, uh, or maybe it will. Uh, but I'm going to talk about Booster Gold number ten. I also want to talk about something that is lacking from the hardcovers. And actually, I'm going to talk about that first. I'm going to talk about the letters pages. From Booster Gold Volume 1, because I have all the issues, and so I'm doing the reread of Volume 1 with the hardcovers, and man, are those things gorgeous. I'm going to talk more but when I'm talking about Booster Gold number 10, but I, I know I've, I'm, you know, this is what I've been reviewing the issues from, so if you've been listening, you've been hearing about me, me talk about the, the Volume 1 hardcovers, but you've got to pick them up. The coloring is just gorgeous. These are these these books have never looked better. Trust me, because I got the my originals out. I mean, I bought them secondhand because I was um, one and a half when the original um, issues were being released. But the originals are great to have. I would want them. Like if I had to pick, you could have the original hardcovers or the hardcovers or the original issues, just because they have some sentimental value even though I didn't buy, I, I don't know. They're, having the individual issues, if I had to pick, I'd probably go with the individual issues, but man, oh man, those hardcovers are gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous to go on your bookshelf. I love them. But it's not, I mean, it's not new for these. Whenever you get a trade, you don't get the letters pages. And letter pages have pretty much gone the way of the dodo, so it doesn't matter for newer stuff. It doesn't matter for anything, you know, from the last, I don't know, especially for DC. I feel like they haven't had a letters page since... Well, it's got you know it's got to be at least ten years or more um, in general for the for the main DC stuff maybe some of the Vertigo or something it got letters pages I'm not sure I'm not as up on that but the letters pages are cool they're a, they're a time capsule too of what people were thinking um, and it's kind of cool when you're a little bit more isolated in your fandom the way that those of us who are Booster Gold fans are because there's not as many of us out there. You know, there's not as many, um, you, like there's not as much Booster Gold news. There's not, many, there's not as many. There's not as many comics as other characters, and so it's tough. And so there's not as many podcasts covering this stuff. So it's tough to like gauge what people's thoughts are about an individual issue or whatnot. And so it's cool to read to read these letter pages. And so I'm going to be talking about that in a minute because I read. Um, I've read the letters pages, gone back. And then for the Superman portion of the show, um, it's going to be the second half of the show today. I'm going to be talking about, I 
um, just finished reading over Christmas break the novel It's Superman, the 2005 novel by Tom DeHaven, the prose novel. And I'll get to my thoughts in the second half of the show. So let's dive into the letters column. The um, So I have not, I, I, I just got done two seconds ago saying that I've read all the letters pages. That's not true because on my reread, I'm only up to issue like 20 or um, and 20 or 19 or 20. So obviously I've read ahead because I'm only reviewing issue 10 today, but I've reread in, um, up through issue 20. And so I've been re I've been reading the letters pages as I go for the issues that I'm currently reading. So the letters are like four issues behind or something like that. Like, like, so if you're reading, if I just got done reading issue, you know, I'm reviewing issue 10 today, those letters would have been printed in issue 14, let's say. Um, and so I have not read just cause I don't want to spoil myself. Um, I have not read the letters from the last, um, four or five issues that I haven't read yet. Um, although I did read, I did, um, I didn't read the ex the actual letters from that people wrote in, but I read Dan Jurgen's comments in issue 25. I wanted to, because I knew I was going to cover the letters on this page. So I'm not going to bother unless there's something that stands out that I want to talk about in those last couple of letters pages, um, from the last few issues. Um, I'm not going to cover them covering it here uh, just because I've, I've read the majority of them and I wanted to talk about them, but I also wanted to see if, see what Dan's thoughts were or what sort of notes or any, anything that he gave to the audience on the last issue of the book. So I'll cover that. So the letters pages were actually written. The responses were written by Jurgens himself. Typically, a lot of times for letters pages, it's the editor or somebody. It's not the actual writer of the comic. And so this makes it really special because Jurgens is the writer and artist. So you got the, he's not, you know, he's not inking. He's got inkers. Um, but he's the main creative force here. He's the, he's, he's the, uh, the auteur of, of this comic, the writer and artist. And so to have him be the person also commenting back to the readers, you really are back. Like if you were writing into booster gold, you really were having a dialogue with the creator of the comic and who direct input. Um, you're, you're having a, that, that dialogue with the creator himself versus if you're writing an, ed an editor or if, if the editor is the one writing the feedback, it feels a little bit disconnected because, you know, you'll get the little blurb after most letters or, you know, every few letters or whatever. And it's just unusual for it to be the writer of the comic, um, especially for DC. Uh, I know that, I, I mean, um, one title that I still read that does have letters pages currently is I read and love, I cannot recommend it enough, the IDW Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. It's been going, it started the same, I think the same month that the New 52 started, so September of 2011, and IDW bought, um, or IDW started uh, putting out a Turtles book, uh, 
and it is phenomenal. Love it, love it, love it. It's probably, to be honest, it's probably my favorite ongoing title that I currently read. Now, I don't read a ton. My list of ongoing titles is fairly small. It's getting smaller. Shazam by Jeff Johns just wrapped up. Well, just, but it wrapped up um, with issue 15 a few months ago, and there's a lot of delays with Shazam. So that's one fewer that I'm reading, but I love Turtles, and it still has a letters page. Um, a note, the Turtles, Turtles number 12, um, the the IDW series, Turtles number 12 is the only letter that I've ever had printed. So if you ever track down the actual issues, and I'm in the only letter that I've, I've only ever wrote into a comic one time, and I got in, actually, um, which is cool, is for Turtles. And my letter is printed in issue number 12, which is a cool shredder cover. Um, that's awesome. If I were to ever have a creator get, sign a comic, one of the Turtles comics, I'd probably actually have them sign that one since I'm in it. And it's a cool cover. But it was probably based on issue 12 or whatever. So that's a, that's a current title. But what, um, it's usually the editor uh, who's who's doing the comments, the, the commenting there, and, it, and that's pretty common, from my knowledge. Now I'm sure this isn't the only book where the writer is the uh, commenter and uh, for the letters pages, but this is the only one that I can think of. And since this is my podcast, it's the one that I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so that's just really cool to to have that because you don't have the disconnect. Um, the first couple, so I should not bash the hardcovers quite as much. Uh, I mean, because they're beautiful. But, man, I would love it if actually you'd get the letters pages printed in, in these things. I know that, you know, they want to keep costs down. And, I mean, it is super rare for, I mean, I can't think of a time. With the exception of the Booster Gold, the Big Fall, so the issues, issues 1 through 12 hardcover. It's Futures Lost that has uh, 13 through 25 in the Millennium content. But in, in Booster Gold Futures Lost, you get the, the, um, the letter that Dan wrote to the audience on the letters page because obviously for an issue one, nobody's wrote in yet. And so for issues, the first few issues of Booster Gold, you were getting a whole page of Dan Jurgens. Um, comments and the first couple issues are um you know covering sort of the origin of how the title got started and it's really cool and the dan's page from issue one is printed in the booster gold futures lost hardcover so that is there but he had a second in issues two in um in issue two he also had another full page that he wrote in and, and that's not there so you only get issue one um but I wanted to talk about most of um, the letters that people started writing in. I, I think it was issue three where people started, or maybe it was issue four where we start to get letters. Um, but I was surprised. What's funny is I'm, I'm kind of just going to go through and just give some general thoughts that I had while reading. Cause there were some things, there were some themes that stood out, some cool things that Dan did with the letters page. Like he, I mean, it's not uncommon for there to be sort of a contest, uh, you know, to write in for recommendations for what to title the letters page, and um, Booster Gold was no different, and 
it was um i think by i think around issue five or six it was um somebody had wrote in with the idea for the gold exchange and that's what dan went with and so that's was kind of cool um i was surprised at just how many letters people would write in regarding um they they just couldn't let go of the idea of time travel the and there being two things two things at the same in the same place in the same time um so for instance i'm uh like if booster gold were to travel back in time oh actually a lot of the letters were about for instance the the belt um boosters boosters um belts and stuff that was taken from the from the the space museum or um the 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 museum and what's funny so many people there was so many letters like that was like really a theme and there was sort of a back and forth and I kind of got a little sense that like Jurgens was finally just like this is a comic book people this can I can write whatever I want uh people would just write in and say well that's not how time travel worked in pre-crisis and there was plenty of um plenty of times where it was in Superman titles when he would where he would travel back in time and it was clearly shown I, I just cannot hear letters like this without hearing the comic book guy's voice or like just like the stereotypical geek voice that you hear that's associated with, unfortunately, people like us, um, comic book fans, but just those like super nitpicky where, you know, clearly in issue 346 of Action Comics from, you know, 1975, that there cannot be two things at this in the same time period. It just, they, they can't exist. That can't happen. And people just write, were just writing this over and over. It was very pervasive. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Tons and tons of letters praising Booster Gold. What a well, what a great comic it is. What a fresh take on this on, on the superhero. Tons of stuff like that. Um, but I just I'm going to talk about some of the themes, some of the things that just stood out to me, and I just was like shocked that. And then finally, you know, the Dan sort of put it to bed. Although there were still a few letters that were printed after this, but Dan is finally like, you're you're going to accept a man in a red keep, an alien flying around and having like I'm, I'm paraphrasing what his his response was but he's like you're gonna accept that these all these fake things uh you know referencing superman i think it was about an alien who can fly and has all these powers and um but you just can't accept this conceit that there could be if there is time travel that the, the same thing can exist in the two th two of the same things can exist in the same time period uh and I, I just found that so nitpicky and it just was all over all kinds of letters pages and people, Dan would give a response and somebody would write in and say, how can you say that, you know, it was clearly shown, Dan, that in the pre-crisis Superman, if you couldn't be in the same place at the same time, and when, when, when you time travel there, there couldn't be an object, two objects in the same time period or, and I, I'm probably messing it up a little bit, but just paraphrasing, for instance, like, how can how can Booster's force field belt be from in the future? Like, how can there be two versions in 1986? Like, how can that even be, Dan? It's how is that even possible? DC has clearly shown in the past, pre-crisis, that that is impossible, and it just was sort of just all over the place. Just uh, and so that was that 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 was there, and then Dan sort of put it you know put it to bed with the comment 
like like I was saying uh, that it this is a comic book people basically is is was what but it didn't stop people from still writing in. Um, you know, I there was a lot of the there's a lot of letters of you know Trixie and Booster should they get together should or a lot of people saying like they shouldn't get together and um a lot of that. One thing that's interesting is that um it's a time capsule for me because I wasn't reading comics at this time. I was still you know I was a toddler, barely a toddler still, um, and so I I gotta tell you, Blue Devil is not a character that I'm really even familiar with in the slightest. I feel like he's but he had a title at this time apparently that it was just sort of got canceled around the time that um, I think it was still ongoing while Booster was going, and then during Vo- Booster Gold Volume One, I think Blue Devil got canceled. But he was up. Like, what I gleaned from these letters is that Blue Devil was definitely super popular. He had a, it, apparently that comic had a very light tone. That's what that's the uh, impression I got from the letters. It was a sort of a light and silly tone, and a lot of people wanted to see team ups with blue devil that was sort of a pervasive thing that would pop up um here and there throughout throughout the the letters pages um from early letters pages up through the end that people were still suggesting that um booster 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 and blue beetle should or booster and blue devil should team up and i was just I, i was just surprised because i'm just he's not even on my radar at all as a character. I don't, I can't tell you a thing about blue devil. Apparently this, th- his title must've been like the, like I, he just fell off the map, I guess, because I was pretty into DC. I mean, I didn't read everything, but um, I still don't read everything, but blue devil just is not on my radar and he's not a character. I know anything about, but so many people, tons of people were writing in. So his title must've been, well, it wasn't popular enough because it got canceled, but a lot of people wrote in. They wanted to see Booster and Blue, De- Blue Devil team up. It's pretty common. What's What's interesting is I think I mentioned this on the last episode that it's annoying. It was annoying to me that Jurgens had to use the the that he even had to reference the hex the hex series because that series is long canceled and. It's annoying, and, and there was still like um, editor's notes in issues. Um, I've talked about it on this show in the reviews that um, the title Hex was the Jonah Hex series set in the future that was coming out at the time. And DC, this was around Crisis, and so DC really, I mean, that was the whole point of Crisis is they wanted to align everything and have everything make sense continuity-wise. Well, well, we know that it's just impossible with comics, but they really tried, and so they sort of forced uh, well, it was reading the letters pages where I learned that it was sort of forced upon Dan to do this. Like he doesn't, he didn't like having to write that the in the future there's the uh, uh, nuclear war, and so the future that Booster Gold comes from, uh, the 25th century is actually set after the nuclear wars that have happened in Hex, and I've complained about that, and I'm like, I'm reading this 30 years later. And this title that's long since canceled is irrelevant in the biggest way. And if you're a Hex fan, I'm sorry, uh, because everybody's comic is somebody's favorite or um, they have a soft spot for. But I don't have a soft spot for it. I've never, I've never read it. Not really a Jonah Hex fan. But it's just annoying that you're getting these editor's notes about ish comics that are that I mean. 
I don't even know how I would read them right now. I don't know if there's any trades or or anything, but with these storylines that are affecting the comics that, you know, this trade that I'm reading 30 years later or, um, or whatever. And Jurgens, it was a later, it was in a later issue, um, that somebody wrote in about something that having to do with the nuclear. Um, Oh, it was sort of how flippant, um, I think Jack Sue and Rip Hunter are in some issues I haven't actually reviewed on this show yet, but when they go into the future, and they're sort of flippant and and they don't linger too much about discussing the nuclear fallout and whatnot and somebody wrote in and said that was kind of odd because you know this is a big deal um in the future for these characters like the the nuclear fallout is in the future for for these characters but to find out that something like that catastrophic is coming and he's sort of just you know they 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 don't linger on it that much or dan doesn't linger some some people wrote in or um, one the one letter wrote in and said, well, that's kind of weird that they don't like acknowledge it that much or put, you know, there's not that much weight put on it. And Dan basically said, like, this is something editorially was put upon me that I have to follow the continuity of, of this other title. Um, it shows the DC in the future, and I was it was it was thrust upon Dan, and so he didn't like it, and so that sort of made, you know, that sort of justified my feelings, too, because I had those feelings reading, and I'm like, well, this, this is playing a role in this comic that I don't think it should be, and apparently Dan agreed, because he wasn't a big fan of that. I think he just wanted to write about the future, and he didn't want to have to deal with whatever was going on in the Hex title, but he, he had to from, it was, you know, from top-down editorial. Um, around issue what is it like uh um it's it's after the battle with the thousand which i'm still covering uh booster gets his booster gets a short like crew, crew cut haircut and dan you know throws it out to the audience do we like this haircut do we want to go back to it and sort of there were some people writing in saying they didn't like it or that that they did like it but more people wrote in that they didn't and so dan sort of um kind of slowly over a couple of issues had Booster's hair grow out, but it didn't take long. So he had a, the short crew cut for what, three or four issues or something like, like that. And then it was back to being a little longer. And I think that's due to feedback that he got from, from, from the letters pages. And that gets back to what I was saying earlier, where he, you're, you're having this dialogue directly with the writer and creator and artist, um, that auteur you're having the, you're having the, uh, dialogue in the letters pages and he wanted and he wanted feedback and so he, he sort of followed what he thought the audience um directed now he's not gonna dan isn't gonna I, he has um integrity writers and so he's not just gonna be a shill and follow whatever the audience wants but i think he was sort of on the fence himself he just wanted to trying out new things and so that the hairstyle came back or the longer hair came back um it's 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 later about halfway through the letters pages he started to ask people oh in addition to you know commenting about booster gold right right in about if you could time travel what you would do the time period you go to so you get a, a number of letters in the sort of the second half of the series um sprinkled in where people would would, would talk about that and so that was kind of cool seeing seeing people's ideas of time travel um what they would do and, and the, those were cool letters to read in issue number 25, um, Dan lets the audience know that it's the last issue, all due to sales, and he mentions that 
it was primarily sort of due to speculation on his part but that maybe Booster wasn't as likable. He was, and a lot of the characteristics that we actually enjoy, you know, us Booster fans, but he's very egotistical. He's he's looking for those endorsements. He's looking to make a buck while he's looking to be a hero. And it's something different in a superhero. And I think that's why a lot of us are drawn to him. But he's also has, a, he also, you know, no, no pun intended, but he has a heart of gold, but he he's also a true 80s you know he's 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 the capitalist as well and he wants if if he can make money if he can put his name on it if he can make you know sell a cereal have a comic book um he's gonna do those things and i think but dan mentions that maybe booster wasn't as likable to the to the mainstream and um they it just didn't work as well and the sales just weren't there and that's what he says in issue 25 and then he goes on to mention, on you know, it's important to support the comics that you like because uh, sales drive everything. And he goes on to then list some indies that were coming out at the time, which I don't, I didn't really recognize basically any of the names. But that goes towards I don't read a lot of indie comics. Um, some biggest was you know a huge fan of Turtles, and I IDW is not independent anymore or you know it's not in um independent comics but back in their mirage back in their mirage days in the 80s they were um so i read a lot of that stuff um but dan mentions a bunch and it's kind of cool that he was able to do that or that he he wasn't asked to take that out of the letters page because it's definitely supporting other publishers um smaller smaller things i mean it's not i mean it's like a short paragraph i mean it's not even really a paragraph it's just you know it's five six sentences at most you know talking about some some indie titles that he wanted to promote but that was kind of cool um and then but it, looking at it, I was did, did a little digging in. It's it's interesting because it looks like in hindsight, if you were a keen, if you were a keen, um, you know, if if you picked up on things, um, all these booster gold issues have they they have a page in the back that was where you um, listing the DC titles being put out at the time and you could subscribe to them, you know, so, um, sub- subscribe and they'd, you'd, you'd get your issues via the mail instead of wherever, you know, newsstand or wherever, and you could subscribe and save some money that way. And for the majority of, you know, Booster is always listed as one of those, those titles, but in issue 21 of the series, um, it was, it was, it appeared clear that Booster was going the way of the Dodo, the title, because, uh, it, issue 20, this subscription page lists Booster Gold. Issue 21, Booster Gold is not there. Now, I didn't, it was only after, you know, I picked up on this um, a couple nights ago. I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's any, you know, these these subscription pages are in. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't have noticed this except if I, if I wasn't doing this project to read the letters. Because, because I'm opening up each of the original issues. And so I'm seeing the 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 sub subscription pages as well they were usually the last page if not like one of the last pages if not the last page you know the, all the titles to subscribe to and then boom right there issue 21 Boos, boosters gold isn't there anymore and he's not there in the in the rest of the issues um so it was pretty i think it was they knew as you know all the way back to issue 21 which sort of makes sense because 
you know, there's, there's like a four issue lead time, or at least that's when the letters pages, it, you, you didn't get letters for that long. And so actually, actually, I don't know that I, I could be talking out of my butt there, but they probably got notice around issue 21 that Dan probably got notice that around issue 21, they were getting the cam and then, but they had it up through issue 25 sort of mapped out. And so then issue 25 was the end so that was, it's interesting, like, that's a little tangent from the, the letters pages, but just um, Dan talking about the cancellation and the final issue, and then it was, it it probably, it was probably a shock for a lot of the fans um, if you didn't pick up on that, and why would you have, I, I guess, it was, but I guess if you were, um, if, if you were really observant, you'd notice that uh, Booster wasn't solicited as something you could subscribe to beginning with issue 21 so that was the sign that the end times were coming so there's other things the, the letters pages are definitely worth reading it's it's kind of fun sort of the commentary it's basically the uh, commentary on the issue so it's fun to read those as i am going through my reread of volume one and read the letters pages now i will read um, the issues and then read three or four letters pages at a time. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have the original issues so I can go back and check out the letters pages. All right. In an homage to Trentus Magnus, if you listen to his podcast at all, I am going to take a sip of my peach mellow yellow here. I gotta say, I'm a huge fan of those freestyle machines, the Coke freestyle machines, because I've my I'm addicted because my favorite flavor of pop is only in that machine, the Peach Mellow Yellow Zero. So just like there's Coke Zero, there's Mellow Yellow Zero. You don't see it as much, but there is Mellow. You can, you do see the Mellow Yellow Zero in the in in the grocery store sometimes, but those freestyle machines, they've got all the different flavors in there, so. It's a very specific flavor, the Peach Mellow Yellow Zero. I am addicted. I have been for the last few years. Oh, my God, I love that. That's my favorite flavor of pop. Uh, you'd think it would get old, but it doesn't. All right, let's talk about Booster Gold number 10, the death grip of the thousand. And again, oh, actually, another note uh, before I move on to Booster Gold number 10, volume one number 10. Um, the pricing, pricing. Um, so Booster Gold was a 75 cent comic. And with issue 22, issue 22, November, cover date of November 87, it went to a dollar. And because uh, I'm re I, I, I pulled out, I, I file away um, Action Comics, um, what is it, 594, the... The, the first part of the Booster Gold crossover there, I filed that issue of Action Comics with the Booster Gold issues just so it makes it easier to read. I know that some people are like, what? You file one single issue of Action Comics in a completely different spot than the rest of the Superman comics? I put it with, yes, I put Action Comics 594 or whatever that issue, the John Byrne issue where uh, that crosses over with uh, Booster I put that issue um, with the Booster Gold comics. So when I pulled out all the individual issues to do the 
the letters pages to read the letters pages that issue came with it so i just happened to have uh action comics from the same the same cover date and action comics is 75 cents why was booster gold that extra 25 cents i don't know the letters pages also mentioned that the booster gold title is using the flexographic printing process now this is probably lost on me because i'm reading books that are starting to you know they're either yellowish a little bit 30 years old um but i guess flexographic printing process was supposed to make the books be look a little bit nicer i tried to look up a little bit of information about this and it it i couldn't find a ton and i mean to be honest i didn't spend a ton of time looking for it but the, the they were um sort of toying with a different way of printing the comics at the time and booster gold was one of those titles because there's there's definitely letters that talked about you know the look of the booster gold comic some people liked it some people of the there weren't that there weren't that many letters to begin with but the people who did write in a couple of the letters said that they liked the way that booster gold looked some people said that they didn't that they weren't a fan of the flexographic process now that's completely lost because i'll tell you what when you look at un, unless action comics was also being printed with the flexographic printing it doesn't look that much different uh i, I and especially after the th- 30 years it you wouldn't look at this book the booster gold volume one and think that something stands out about it but maybe it did brand new back on the newsstand but is the flexographic printing process does that account for the 25 cents difference i don't know because booster gold got the um the price bump and action comics didn't and i counted i counted letters or i counted just a um all every page uh it could be ads included but they're both 32 pages just in that book if you include the ads and whatnot you just count how many pages there's 32 pages in, in action comics which is listed which is 75 cents and booster gold which was a dollar um was the price increase sort of do did that lead to the downfall of of the title and uh people dropped it because it, it went up in price I don't know. Uh, it's a bummer if that's why. Um, but I did just take note of the price change beginning with issue 22. Um, although that wouldn't, that sort of flies in the face of what I said a minute ago where I said it was issue 21 where Booster Gold was not listed in, on the subscription page. And it was issue 22 when the price went up. I wonder if those things are related or unrelated. Um, I don't know. Uh, but Booster got the bump up to $0.25. Cents. I, I did not, for comparison, look up when the Superman book, so Action Comics and that month was still a $0.75, uh, $0.75 cent book. I did not look up when Action Comics went to a dollar. Um, that would be interesting to know. Uh, maybe I'll tr- make a note for myself, and if I remember, to look that up. All right, holy cow, 43 minutes. I haven't even got to uh, Boucher Gold uh, actually covering the issue. Um, Not a big deal, though. Um, So Boucher Gold number 10, The Death Grip of the Thousand. So again, this synopsis is all me because no synopsis anywhere that I could find. Boosterific, you're letting me down with those, um, with the the synopses. I can't just steal them. the boosterific blog don't get me wrong the boosterific blog never lets me down it's a fantastic it is the booster gold resource online i know i know i know i've said it i'm not affiliated with the site i have emailed with the owner a couple times just to get um 
just to make him aware of this podcast and whatnot. But I'm not affiliated uh, with this site, but I do go there quite often. It's a fantastic website, and I try to seal as many synopses as I can <laughs> for this. Uh, but I had to write my own here. Poor me. All right, here we go. While while walking home, Dirk Davis is stopped by those working for by a couple of goons working for the thousand, and shown a video of his kidnapped of, of his kidnapped daughter. She is still alive. Senator Ballard slash the director is upset after an interview doesn't go well, and he vows to destroy Booster as we watch him change into the India um into the directors. So from Senator Ballard putting on his villain costume and change and head to the thousand headquarters through a secret underground tunnel under his penthouse booster and trixie decide to go out to eat after while booster is driving trixie booster is giving her a lift home they're interrupted their dinner is is interrupted by the sounds of an explosion booster goes to help and the director orders trixie to be kidnapped as well um and he's Sorry, I'm fumbling over my own synopsis here. He orders Trixie to be kidnapped due to her extensive knowledge of Booster. And he also orders the release of the attack bots, which attack Booster while he is helping with the fire, which um, from the explosion that we just heard, or that Trixie and Booster just heard. While Booster's fighting the attack bots, um, Trixie is kidnapped right in front of Dirk, at the end of the battle while Booster is being talked to by the media. Trixie's upset because they're sort of talking about Monica Lake and Trixie has a little little bit of jealousy cropped up. So she storms off because she doesn't want to hear about Booster talking about Monica at all. And she storms off and she's kidnapped right in front of, um, and um, Dirk is with her and she's kidnapped. Some of the goons from the thousand stop and pick her up and, Dirk is told that if he breathes a word about this, then his daughter and Trixie will be killed, and that he also needs to provide the thousand with the codes to access Booster's computers. Dun dun dun. So, what do, what do I think about this issue? This issue is really really good. The cover is quite dynamic. It has um, Booster fighting the attack bots that are released by the 1,000 on the cover in a, um, while the director's watching this on a monitor, but it's a giant, the way it's portrayed on the cover, it's a giant monitor. It's almost as, like, that's the, what your eye is drawn to on the cover, and then we have the 1,000, also the, uh, the director watching this. And it's, it, it has, uh, the text of there is, destroy my robots, booster, dot, 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 and then I can't lose. It really is a dynamic cover. I really quite like it. Um, so this, speaking of Boosterific, um, there's a note because I was looking when I was looking for the synopses. I looked at um, some of some of the notes that are there for this issue. And one of the things that's noted here, which I forgot to talk about in the letters page, but I don't need to. It was mentioned in this note here is that this issue sort of has a throwback to the 1970s sort of way of doing things where there was um, there was the the opening splash page, which is sort of like a second cover. And this was really common in the Bronze Age, I think. Um, and I, I think it was um, I've seen I've seen it a lot in the Bronze Age. I don't I, maybe the Silver Age, too, but it was 
really common in the Bronze Age to sort of have this this second cover. And I've heard some people say that this was due to um, when the covers would be torn off and sent back um, if the if the um, if the book didn't sell, so then the retailer would get reimbursed. So that's why a lot of times if you look, I only recently learned this, but like when you look in the cover of books and things, it says if the, if you purchase this book without a cover, it was a, um, a copy that was sold illegally or whatever. And that's because, um, oh, and, and, like, and like the publisher didn't get paid or whatnot because books and magazines and things that don't get sold, I'm not sure if this is still the process, but... Like the covers would be torn off and they would be sent back to the retailers, I guess, is the process. And it's been, I've heard some podcasts just talking about Bronze Age books speculate that um, this was, that's why these splash pages were so common is because you have a lot of retailers who were doing this. And so they would get reimbursed for the comic as if it didn't sell, but then sell it anyways, just without the cover. And so that was... Whether or not that's true or not, I have no idea. But we get this splash page that I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up right now. I'm gonna uh, take a look at it right now because it's a pretty it's pretty good looking. Um, it's it definitely is like a second cover, and you have Booster and Dirk, and they're in the clutches, sort of um, the the uh, the the director of the thousand sort of has them in his hand. And then in his other hand, he's holding um, Trixie and Dirk's daughter, and it's and, and and again it says the death grip of the thousand, and it's pretty cool. It's a I don't mind it. I don't hate it here. Um, it takes up a page of story, you know. It's because it has nothing to do with the story, but um, apparently I had forgotten this, but I, I I I remembered reading it once I saw the note on Boosterific. But somebody wrote in sort of complaining about this page. And Dan said that he was just trying something new and he wasn't going to do it again. Um, I didn't mind it, but I am. It, it does take away a page of story. Um, but this, this this issue is really good. It's a really this this is where the sort of um, the sort of sort of the first half of volume one is really about um, boosters boosters. Um, Butcher's encounters and his his entanglements with the thousand, and I think the conclusion of that really gets started here, um, where things really come to a head here with the kidnapping of Trixie. It's it's a great. I think this is one of the better issues of Volume One when I really when I really think about it. Now I haven't reread. I haven't finished my reread of Volume One, and so I've forgotten some things. So we'll see if that still holds up. Um, I mean, I guess, like, I didn't make the declaration a second ago that it's the best issue of Volume 1. So I, I can still, regardless of what's coming up next that I haven't read yet, although I've read up through issue 19 or 20 or whatever it is, and this is this issue is one of the better ones, I think. Um, it's got a cool uh, fight with the with the attack bots, and that, and that fight is... Um, seven pages and it's pretty dynamic the the attack bots are have, have a kind of a cool design there's three of them and they all they all have a different design to them and so it's 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 a really good issue I think um, other note I have here is that I really feel for Dirk here I, um, being a father myself you know Dirk is sort of a you know he's a sort of a sleazeball used car salesman type of person um, but I, I feel as a father 
you know, I, I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine having your child kidnapped. Um, that has got to be one of the scariest things in the world. And Dirk's ha- daughter is kidnapped and he's told if he says anything to anybody, she's going to be killed. And he knows she's still alive uh, from the video that he's shown. But it's got to be one of the one of the scariest things in the world. And he's and he's afraid to tell anybody. And he's sort of you can see in his face, especially um, on the last page when Trixie's kidnapped. Also, that he's just stuck in this unimaginable situation, and he can't tell anybody, or he feels like he can't tell anybody right now. And I, I, I feel for Dirk here. Um, other note I have is that the colors are just striking. I mean, throughout this trade, um, the, I, I, I just can't give enough praise for these hardcovers. And I, I just can't believe that we, um, well, I don't want to make it seem like it's, you know, uh, crazy, but I'm just, um, with all the, the other, I, I mean, it is small potatoes in the terms of the world, but I'm really surprised that DC put these out because they're fantastic and booster doesn't have a title on the booster doesn't have a title on the stands and i guess as much as i hope i mean booster keeps popping up in things although it's mostly driven by dan jurgens i just read last month the uh the two-part crossover in batman beyond um that just came out uh issues 48 and 49 of batman beyond but again, I guess I say that Booster Gold keeps popping up, but it's usually driven by Dan Jurgens. Um, but he's still relevant. I mean, we have Generations Shattered or whatever it's called um, coming out. I mean, right now, and Booster's a part of that, and so Booster pops up in things. But he, I guess, he just isn't as popular as I would hope because he hasn't had his title since the New Fifty Two ended, and he was part of the rebooted um start at the new 52 of justice league international but that only went so far again though that was driven by jurgens so maybe i'm wrong in saying that i guess maybe maybe what i'm saying is that i read a lot of um stuff that jurgens um written and i keep track of i got keep track of the booster appearances but i guess when you really think about it a lot of those were driven by um jurgens so as much as I'd like to think that we'll get a volume three someday, maybe it won't happen. Maybe he's just not popular enough. But that all leads me back to these hardcovers are gorgeous. The colors are awesome, and the art is awesome. And I've said it before, it's Dan's style evolves pretty quickly because um, his style here is very different than when I was introduced to him, when probably many of us were introduced to him around the death of Superman time, you know, as a, what, as a eight-year-old, um, seven slash eight-year-old, I was introduced to Dan Jurgens during that storyline, and his art's very different. It's, I, I, I prefer the style from that era, but this art is still really good, and, um, but I just, I mean, it's not um, specific to this issue, but I just so, like I think the fight is really dynamic um, with the with the attack bots and the colors just popped. So I just want to you know I'll heap as much praise as I can on these hardcovers. Um, and it's it's it, before they get called away or before they hear the explosion, boosters 
almost goes into his origin with Trixie. Almost gives away that he's from the future, and it won't be too long before before Trixie becomes fully aware of Booster's origin, and we'll get to that in a, in just a few short issues. But he almost goes into it here, and then the explosion happens, and they leave leave the restaurant. Um, but it almost happens here. Um, when 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 Trixie is kidnapped, sort of going back to a feeling for Dirk. Um, when when Trixie is kidnapped, Dirk really is in quite a pickle it, with his daughter and coworker kidnapped, and they say if he says anything, they'll be killed, and he has to betray his friend and coworker to give up the computer codes. Now we don't see him do that in this in this issue yet, but he's told you need to do this for your fa- or your coworker Trixie and um and your daughter are going to be killed. Like it's a really tough spot for Dirk. Um, so. We'll have to see. I mean, I've read ahead, so I know, but we'll have to wait for the review for the next couple issues. Um, but this really gets that end game rolling with um, with the conclusion. This is really the start the start of the conclusion of the thousand storyline, and I think this is a great issue. So with that, let's move on to the Superman portion of the show. <laughs> So for today, we're gonna, I'm going to be talking about uh, the 2005 novel It's Superman by Tom DeHaven, the prose novel. Now, one of the first things I was going to talk about is that um, this I was it was during the writing of the notes for this show that I realized I was wrong in what I'm what I'm about to say. But when I finished this book, it dawned on me: oh, this is the this is a first for me for Superman. I've this is the first prose novel that I've read that wasn't based on anything else. Like I've read the, um, Louis Simonson, um, the young, the young adult a- a- adaptation of death of Superman and the, the death and life of Superman by Roger Stern, the adaptation of, of the, 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 uh, the more teen slash adult a- adaptation of the de- death of Superman. I mean, that's not a slouch in terms of novel length and it's 400 pages. And, um, it's it's a fully fleshed out novel, but it's an adaptation of a storyline, um, and so this this is a was conceptually thought it was going to be a a completely original story, and I was like, oh, that's a first for me. I was kind of surprised and thought it was pretty cool. And then I realized, oh no, actually that's not quite right because I read um, Superman: Last Son of Krypton. By Elliot S. Magan, the I think it came out the year Superman the movie was released, um, nineteen seventy eight. I think I'm not going to go um, fact check myself. It was I think d- d- designed to co to coincide with the release of Superman the movie. So I think it was probably seventy eight or seventy nine. 
that that novel must have come out um, just due to that's when the movie came out. And, but I still sort of, it's funny. So that um, Last Night of Krypton by Elliot S. Magan was technically the first prose novel that was an original story um, that I read. But this one is, it's Superman by Tom DeHaven is really the true beak true first prose novel in the sense that it's written as a novel. I think Elliot S. Magan, to be honest, I think he gets a little bit of um, too much praise. Maybe it's because we're long past the Bronze Age sentiment. um, um, And so some of those conventions and things, the way the comics were written, still are a little hokey today. I mean, I love the Bronze Age, and I really quite like um, a lot of Elliot S. Magan's Superman stories of the era, but they are the cheesy comic book, you know, that I love, but they are still comic books. You're not going to give these comic books from the Bronze Age to, um, you know, I wouldn't give them to my, to my parents and say, read this. This is worthy of an adult reading. Like, this is... Um, I mean, I mean, and to be fair, there's lots of comics today that are still aimed at the younger demographic. Um, I mean, e- even most issues of Superman, even though I love issues of, you know, I, I still love Superman. Let's be honest. It's not highbrow. It's not highbrow reading. And the Su- Superman Last Son of Krypton by Elliot S. Magan is no different. It's written like a Bronze Age comic book and all its hokey, the hokiness that comes with it. I mean, you could see this on the page and, um, and that's fine. I don't dislike that story necessarily. I'm not. I wasn't crazy about it, but I, I don't. I didn't dislike it per se. But it's definitely written by a comic book writer, and it feels like a Bronze Age comic book. It's Superman by Tom DeHaven is a novel written by a novelist, and it just feels like that. And it's not. It's not a YA, you know, it's not a young adult novel. This is written for adults. Not, um, this isn't written for the the tweens. This isn't written, um, I, I mean, I don't want to disparage it yet because I haven't read it, and it's it might be great, but I got, for last Christmas, I still haven't read the Superman Dawnbreaker, which is part of the DC Icons series of novels that have been, had, that have been coming out, and it's a... It's a, um, a prose novel, and I got it last Christmas, and I'm going to read it soon just because I, f- I think it would complement talking about It's Superman very well, and I hope it's really good. And I like my sh- fair share of young adult novels, even um, as a grown adult. Um, but they have a different flair to them. They're written towards a different, a different demographic. And su- su- Superman Dawnbreaker for, is, is set when Clark's a teen, and it's the entire... Um, like, like the synopsis is, it's still all set in Smallville. Clark's a teen. It's written for that teen tween age group. And I'm, I'm going to read it, but my expectations are set for that book that it's a young adult novel, just like the, which is also sort of in my mind, sort of takes a different place than Superman Last Son of Krypton by Elliot S. Magan because that is a comic book in prose form. Um, I'm not going to say that because I haven't read it. I'm not, I'm not going to say that Dawnbreaker is a comic book in prose form. Um, but 
It Superman is a novel um, written written in a novel style. It I this I'm not seeing a comic book in my head when I'm reading this. Um, so I I enjoyed this book quite a, a bit. So a little bit of history on it. I didn't. It was this book wasn't on my radar for whatever reason when it came out in 2005. Um, I was still in college then. Met my wife that year, uh, November of 2005. Met my well, uh, met my met the person you know met who would become my wife, um, and so it just wasn't on my radar for whatever reason I don't know and the, I never read it or I never um, it was it wasn't until twenty seventeen that I decided hey you know I've heard good things over the years about this book so I'm gonna pick it up so I go to pick it up you know you know as all of us do these days you know well. I still like a good bookstore. We have a Barnes and Noble in our in our town that I still quite like, um, but I went to Amazon. It's the simple, e- easiest thing to do. And so I went to Amazon, and it seemed like the only cover I could get was a newer cover that had. Um, it's a famous cover of Superman, or a famous um, image of Superman, but I couldn't quite. Um, in trying to do a little bit of research for this episode, I couldn't quite um, figure out exactly where it originated from i've seen it before and but it sort of got this um this big sort of um sort of sort of stocky superman on the cover and it's it's a cover from something else from another um i'm not sure if it's a cover of a comic but just go to amazon and look up the it superman covers and you'll see the cover that i'm talking about it's just superman has his hands on his hips and he's sort of stocky looking i just did not like that cover i, I did not i didn't like it at all and so I saw that, oh, the previous, that, that, that's the current paperback. The previous paperback was this really striking cover. It was sort of a black cover with Superman holding up a building. I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was like, oh, it's re- very re- reminiscent of, a, of, Fle- of, of the Fleischer cartoons. Come to find out when I got the book on the back, um, it actually is from a... Um, an actual animation cell from the Fleischer cartoons, Fleischer. Um, so it's directly from, from, from there, but it's really cool. It just has a look to it that has, I don't know. I, I'm just drawn to this cover a lot more. Um, it's, it's more striking. It, it, to me, when I look at it, it, it just, it's, it's a, it draws my eye more than the other covered. I don't know why, but it just, it screams, cheesy to me um i'm not a fan of that cover superman looks a little pudgy kind of to me i just don't like the way i i just do not like the cover um it and i wish i knew i wish i could tell you um you listeners where the original um for the new paperback um where that comes from because it's not it wasn't drawn for this just like the uh the original paperback um, has art from the um, the the Fleischer cartoons. This art originated from somewhere, but I I, I just don't like it. Um, look 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 it up on eBay now. And these are these covers are all different than the original hardcover cover, which was yet another image. Which I'm not sure if it's original or not. Um, with Superman sort of um, looks like leaping over the, I believe it's the Daily Planet. Um, but it's um. As my favorite cover is the is the 
there's been three covers released for this book, and my favorite is the middle paperback cover. So look these up on eBay. The cover that's embedded in this episode in the show notes is the cover that I'm talking about that I have that I really find striking. Although I I like the original hardcover cover as well. Um, but so in 2017, I decided to buy this novel and I went to eBay and bought a, um, a like new copy and it, it arrived and it looked like it hadn't been read. Um, or if it had, it was taken well care of by the previous owner. Right? There's nothing, there's, um, some uh, roles in the cover, not like I, I've taken less care, not not as great a care of it as I would like. Like it definitely looks used now, <laughs> not as not not like when I bought it when it looked new. But I bought it in 2017 and I started it, and I think just because I hadn't read a Superman prose novel per se, or it just didn't pull me in in the first couple of chapters, um, in the way that I thought it would, and so. And we kind of got involved. We, we, towards the tail end of that year, we bought a new house and we moved and life got a little hectic for a little while there at the end of 2017. And I just didn't get back to that book for a while. And so then in 2020, um, I think I picked it up back up in, uh, you know, October, I I started picked this book back up and, um, so I I started reading it again. It's been on my reading pile and I finally, picked it up to, 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 and, but I decided to restart it. And again, the first, the beginning just didn't draw me in as much. I just, maybe just, I'm just looking for a Superman story and I'm getting, uh, something a little bit different, something a little bit, I'll go into it in a minute. I mean, event, like I actually think this is a great book and, um, I almost should reread it to get a greater appreciation of those early chapters that I kind of had to work my way through just because you're trying to get your bearings on the type of story it is, the, the, the writing style, the characters, um, Clark's written a little bit differently here. And, um, so then again, I sort of was get work going a little slow, but over Christmas break, I, um, and in December of 2020, I sort of hit the book hard. I mean, it's not even not even that long of a book. It's what like 420 pages, so it's not not even that crazy um, for length. I mean, it's a it's 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 a good length. Um, it's not. I wouldn't say it's short, but I wouldn't say it's long either. And um, so then I I once once it hooked me, it hooked me, and I just like plowed through it and I finished it up. And I was super impressed with that. Now I'm not going to go into all of the um, details of the plot here. I do have a quick synopsis, which I think I pulled from Wikipedia just a couple days ago. Um, so let me read this. The premise tells, tells the tale of Clark Kent's beginnings into becoming Superman set in the 1930s where Clark befriends a wrongly convicted photographer named Willie Berg and is then taken from Kansas to Hollywood and finally to New York where he meets Lois Lane, fights Lex Luthor and debuts in his superhero persona. And, this 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 book is I I was mentioning it earlier when I was talking when I was comparing it to to Elliot S. Magan's Last of Superman. This is a novel. It is written for I you you could give this to anybody. I think not even a, a superhero f- fan like Last Son of Krypton. I would not give. I wouldn't s- recommend anybody read it outside of uh, Superman fans. 
But this is a novel that I think you could give anybody. I mean, I could probably give this to my 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 mother-in-law who likes to read, or my mom, and they could read it and really enjoy it because it's well written from a novelist who's treating the material seriously. And I think maybe some of that is why it was just it's sort of a more realistic take and um, a grittier take and. Um, Maybe that's why at first it didn't quite draw me in because it wasn't quite what I expected. And but now I, th- as I mentioned, I should probably reread the book just so I can have now that I know that I really like it. Um, as funny as that is, like now that I know I'm a huge fan of the book, I should reread it to just get that greater appreciation because it was probably not even it's probably not until about a third of the way through the book that I was really started to to, to dig it. And so. Um, just for that greater appreciation, I should reread. Um, but the this is in a this is a book written for adults. As I was again, I'm going to circle back to I mentioned earlier that it's not a young adult novel at all. It is it's written for adults. The demographic is probably you know, um, I mean high school through adult, but it's not written at teens. If that makes sense, it's written. Um, for adults, and there's there's um, graphic violence in it. Um, Clark lusts after women. He sleeps with women in here. I think he drinks and smokes. Um, I mean, not like he isn't a smoker, but he has a. Uh, I, I believe there's a scene where he smokes a cigarette. He's there's scenes where he's laying in bed after um, spending spending the night, and clearly. Um, having sex with a woman and he's lusting after her body and things. And we have people getting shot and we have a, uh, a boy in like sort of the middle part of the novel where a boy in is kidnapped and he's killed. I mean, usually you expect Superman, you know, in a Superman book that it's going to be aimed at children and there's not going to be any, you know, um, serious violence. And, but no, in this book there's, there is serious um, consequences and and um, serious things that happen and adult themes and um, priests who um, sleep with under there's there, there's a priest who sleeps with an underage girl or at least he recounts a story of sleeping with an underage an underage girl and um, people being shot and killed. I mean, all those things I just listed, like those are not typical things that you would find in anything related to Superman or Superman associated. But this is written as sort of a crime at times. This book has it's sort of interesting because it's sort of written as like a crime noir slash like Hollywood style book. And because there's a lot that takes place in Hollywood, um, I, we just got done watching over Christmas break or um, um, mid-December or whatever. We, we watched the movie Mank on Netflix, the um, the movie based. It's got Gary Oldman. It's directed by David Fincher. And it's about the set in the set in the 30s. Um, I believe it's the 30s, although it sort of flashes forward and flashes backwards. Um, and it's about... Um, Herman Mankiewicz, who was the screenwriter for, um, for, uh, um, shoot, the Orson Welles movie, 
Oh my god, I cannot believe I'm blanking on that. We just watched um, Citizen Kane. Oh my, god. I was blanking on that. We we actually re- we watched Citizen Kane prior to watching Mank, but Mank is sort of set in the 1930s and 1930s Hollywood, and this has a lot of that flavor. It re- re- reminded me a lot of, um, and, and it's supposed to because it has a lot of scenes set during that 1930s Hollywood period, and there's. There's gangsters in here, and there's. It reminds me also a lot of. I read. Um, there's two or three sort of Godfather um, in like the mid 2000s. Um, a couple of Godfather books. One is The Godfather Returns, I believe. And then there's some Godfather books. And um, this reminds me a lot of those. It has um, some. A lot of crime um, there. Uh, uh, Lex Luthor is sort of running all the crime in New York City, and that's another thing is that there's no metropolis in this book. It's set in New York City. It's there's not a fake a fake town the way that Metropolis is. Now, now there's homages to to Metropolis, and the Daily Planet's still there, and I, it has the Globe, and um, but. All, all those things sort of um, coalesce into this book that's definitely for adults, and I appreciated that. I appreciated a Superman book that takes things a little bit serious, more seriously, where the, the the intended audience is 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 an older demographic, and it's written. It's a it's a Superman book, but I you it's not for kids. It's not for tweens even um necessarily like not i mean a uh you know a 12 year old could read this book and probably would get um but but it might be one of those things where a 12 year old reads it but they sort of feel like they're reading something that maybe they shouldn't read and gets a thrill out of it from that standpoint because there's there's sexual situations in here as i was saying violence that you wouldn't typically find in anything associated with superman and it was a breath of fresh air and i got to tell you that the um i love superman and i really get a kick when i get an itch to read golden age superman but i'll tell you golden age books can be a slog to get through i mean there's a lot to appreciate there in those early stories and there's history there that just can't be denied and it's just fun to go back to the early days of superman especially but with today's comics there's there's, they did so much telling as well as showing. Like the, it, it could take you an. I mean, this is an exaggeration, but it could take you an hour to read a Golden Age book because there's so much text in every page. They can just be a slog to get through. And but I and so I, my point of saying that is, the 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 1930s, in my mind, isn't my favorite era of Superman um, or the early 40s um just because i do enjoy reading golden age books but they can they can be you know you have to be in the right mind mood to sort of like you know i say it like put yourself through reading a golden age book now it can be very enjoyable but they they have you know they're they're books of their time period and things are more sophisticated now and um it was still early days of the medium and golden age books can, you know, they can just be a slog, even though I really enjoy them. Um, you know, I can only, you know, I can't read a ton of them at a time, but, and so in my mind, I didn't, 
know just how much I appreciated Superman in the 1930s. This book makes me want more stories of Superman set in this time period because it works super well um, in in the time period of the, this book is you know set in the 1930s 19 that period between like 1935 and 1938 I think um, it's sort of set there and um, and it really works very well and now of course I've always appreciated the Flesher cartoons but I don't necessarily I mean those are shorts and it there isn't as much storytelling there as there mm-hmm. is here, but this really makes me want to see more from Su- Su- Superman set in this time period. And we also got earlier this year, Superman smashes the clan, the graphic novel by Jean Lu and Yang based on the, the, that storyline from the radio show. And, um, that also is set in, in those days in, in that time period. And it worked really well there too. I'm sort of really coming around to Superman working really well in those in the days when he was introduced. Um, it's not antiquated; it just works well, and and I think this novel is a a really big testament to that. Um, Lex Luthor is in the book, and he's the overarching uh, villain of the story, and he's a uh, he's sort of a government um he works for the local government in new york city and um but he's he's running all the crime and the story dives in it's a it's a realistic story but it's already the story um the sci-fi element of the book sort of other other than superman himself and his powers the which which he use which he uses sparingly in the book and I love that. Like, and and it's not even used a ton. We, we we don't get tons of super heroics here. It's it's definitely used sparingly and to, to good effect when it is used. Um, and Lex Luthor is the uh, um, where where the sci-fi elements come in is Lex has these Lex bots that um, he's going to try to you know mass produce and get out there into the world and. And they're sort of going to be these Trojan horses in people's homes, and because the big thing is everyone's going to own this. Like the big thing is in in, in this book is they say TV is going to be the next big thing, but no, these Lex bots are going to be the next big thing. And there's a the one and only sort of really big uh, set piece in the book for Superman is the showdown with um, one of these Lex bots, and and um, that's the sort of sci-fi ish element, but it's still done in a grounded way. And, um, and it works, it just works really well. Um, the, as I mentioned, it really sort of reads like a, uh, a mixture of gangster slash period slash Hollywood book, um, slash sort of like Steinbeck a little bit with, um, of, um, scenes set in Smallville early on, um, it's really fascinating where the where it really deviates from the the, the mythology that we all know. Um, Clark is a Clark leaves Smallville with this with this photographer who shows up in town, uh, Willie, and they sort of befriend each other and become best friends. And but they move out to Hollywood together, and Clark becomes a stuntman. Uh, which at first you might think, what Clark Kent is a stuntman? What? But it really works, and, and it actually makes sense when you think about it. He is this 
you know, he's he's a young guy and he needs to he he needs to make money and he has, you know, he's basically in, in, indestructible. So he's he, ma- he makes a perfect stuntman, actually. Um, I think Tom DeHaven did a gr- that's a fantastic like idea for what Clark might be doing when he's sort of doing a little bit of traveling before he ends up settling in New York City um, and working for the Daily Planet, which does happen in this book. Um, but we have quite a bit of Clark uh, out being a stuntman, and he gets his his first costume from his first Superman costume from a uh, a costume designer who designed the costume for a different movie. And so that's where he got it from. And it's it's made of regular fabric and whatnot, so it can be destroyed. And it sort of, you know, goes through uh, times in the book when the, when it talk about the fabric like, getting um, messed up during various uh, super heroics or whatnot. Um, but he gets his he gets his costume from a cost uh, his costume designer, and. It, it just works really well when you think about it. At first, you're like, at first, I was taken aback a little bit. I mean, not much, but I was like, hmm, this is different. This is definitely a different take. Um, but I think it works really well. Um, it makes sense where he gets the costume from. And um, it's funny because at the end, sort of Lex, uh, sort of like as a, as a, uh, not a just sort of as a uh, um, sort of a slap in the face or like you know you can do all these good amazing things here I'm, I'm even gonna provide you with an indestructible suit but you're never gonna get me I'm always gonna be that elusive you know we're gonna be arch nemeses and yeah here sure go ahead here have uh, in, in indestructible suit you know because that's how good of a guy I am but you're never gonna catch me I'm, I'm always gonna be the elusive arch nemesis that you have that's sort of what happens at the end of the book um lex has a scientist um and it's funny because they don't go into how it happens or anything just it's sort of glossed over that lex has a uh, scientist lex has been sort of outed and he's going to be sort of on the run now um his, his days of being a you know a corrupt politician in new york city are over um it seems like and he has a scientist that he knows just create a indestructible suit that he then gives to Superman. And that's how at the end of the book, Superman has an indestructible suit thanks to it being gifted to him by Lex Luthor. Um, Lois Lane's here and she's um, really drawn or drawn. She's really written as a three dimensional character and she dates men and she, sleeps with men and she's doing the things that a young woman does, but we don't think about Lois doing and, and, um, and we see her dating and she's, she's just a fleshed out woman. And I really liked her character also. And, and, um, she's, she's just written very dynamically as well. And we, there's, there's scenes depicted of her, um, Going back to it being written for more of an adult audience, there's there are scenes where she's described as you know there's scenes that are occurring when she's in her her undergarments and just a normal novel probably wouldn't even draw attention to that. But this is just written in a way it's just written for 
adults and i super appreciate that you know no no pun intended um but i think this book is fantastic and i should have got on the train a long a while ago um oh the an, an interesting fact about this is that tom DeHaven, dc comics approached him he had written a couple of other novels set in the 1930s I, th- this history is on Wikipedia. Um, but, and also there's a uh, comic geek speak episode from 2005 or six. So uh, going back a ways uh, for, in, in terms of podcasts, like uh, there's a, but, but they did an interview with Tom DeHaven. So he talks all about this also, but DC approached him. They were impressed with work that he had done on these other novels and they approached him around the 97 98 time frame but he was working on some other stuff and so he didn't actually get around to starting this novel until the early 2000s um which is cool that dc waited um it's not like they had an idea for a book and they were just going to find a writer to do it they had a writer that they wanted to work with you know clearly and they were willing to wait until he had the time in his schedule to write the novel and so then um, I think he mentioned that they approached him around 97, 98, and he, didn't, he wasn't able to start work on the book until 2001, 2002-ish or so, and then it came out in 2005. Um, I just found it fascinating that DC came to him. He wasn't, you know, he didn't pitch DC on, a, on anything or that he wanted to, which is what, the way I would picture it happening is a writer pitches dc on so on a on a novel that they'd like to write no dc wanted to do and i don't think they would do this now um i mean i'm surprised they, they did it then uh maybe it was trying to tie into superman um returns but superman returns had its own novelization and whatnot but this is you know it's it's really cool of dc at the time to approach a novelist with the idea that we'd like you to write a superman novel and we're not going to dictate what it's about Tom was able to completely come up with his own thing and it was his idea to set it in the 1930s. And um, I, I mean, I think DC wanted that also, or that's what they were hoping for because he'd also written others work set in the 1930s. And that's sort of what they, what drew them to offer him the gig, but it just wasn't, it wasn't based on anything. It wasn't trying to, to, you know, out and out tie into the Superman returns, which was, coming out um you know shortly around the book's time frame like there's not this isn't you know you, you don't have i hate when you actually it's not just a sticker but i hate when you actually have those blurbs that are like printed on books like now i'm aging motion picture or um i mean this isn't related to superman returns but it isn't there's there's nothing on this book that says oh if you like this like go see you know see Superman coming up soon and, and at the big screen or whatever. There's nothing like this isn't tying in with Superman returns at all. Other than, you know, maybe you happen to see Superman returns at the theater and you go to a bookstore and you happen to see this book that's there. I don't know. Um, I mean, there were, there probably was some synergy there, but there's no, the actual product itself. The, there's nothing that on, on this book that's like ties it to Superman returns. And so I, it, it's cool that DC took that, um, not necessarily well i mean i guess it's a risk but took the risk to like have this original prose novel and i think it's fantastic and i think all of you should check it out if i haven't already 
you know, I haven't gone into it, you know, plot point by plot point. Um, not in the way that like, you know, I cover the booster gold issues or whatever, where, you know, I'm, I'm spoiling those. And usually I will spoil nonstop and I haven't spoiled a ton just cause I want, I wanted to talk a little bit more generalities about this book anyways. I didn't want to go plot point by, by plot point. So I was never intending to completely spoil the book anyways, but if you haven't read this book, check it out. There's an audio book of it. You know, what bums me out is that graphic, audi- graphic audio apparently did a, adaptation of this that I wanted to listen to but apparently in early or like mid 2000 graphic audio and DC uh parted ways because they have a lot of different graphic audio and had a lot of different had a lot of comic book based um sort of not audio books but they always said like like, like their tagline was always like a, a movie in your mind um and so graphic audio had has an adaptation of it's Superman, but you can't buy these like the website, the graphic audio w- website doesn't have any of the DC or Marvel graphic audios that they've done in the past. And it's not on eBay right now. I'll probably maybe, maybe create, you know, create an eBay filter for myself so I can, cause I would like to check out the graphic audio a- a- adaptation of this. Um, there's also audio book that you can check that you can get on Audible. I saw unabridged, so you could get this book through Audible if you wanted. But um, so there's various ways to to get this. You can still get the book on Amazon. And what's funny is I think now you can actually get the cover that I my 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 preferred cover the with the Flesher um, um, cell on the 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 the, the Flesher animation on the cover. I think now you can actually get it through Amazon new, but I couldn't in 2017, which is why I had to go to eBay to get the cover I wanted for this. But I think now you can get that. I think you can get all three covers on eBay, the original hardcover cover. Um, so you have your pick of which cover you want. Um, definitely check this check this um, book out. Oh, a couple more notes here. So Clark... I warmed up to him, but I gotta say this: the characterization of Clark here is much different than you've seen before. Like he isn't—he isn't entirely the most likable at the beginning, or I mean, um, but but we spend more time with him. But maybe, and also I, th- I think that my—and he's sort of a dr- very dry character, sort of at the beginning um, of the book. And actually, I think he's. He's one of my least. He's one of the least interesting characters at the beginning for me. Now I need to reread the book as I mentioned because these sections where I'm talking about Clark not being as interesting, maybe now that I have an appreciation of the book as a whole, I could go back and you know restart the book and those early chapters that I weren't as compelling will you know have a new depth for me now that I've have an appreciation for the entire work. But when I was reading it. Um, Clark just wasn't as inter- interesting as I would have liked, and he wasn't as actually as likable as a character as I would have liked. But I think he's written quite realistically, and um, and I gotta say I really like the original character of Willie created for this book. Um, I, I quite liked him. I didn't know where it was going for the longest time with this Willie character, uh, but he's he befriends Clark and. Um, I'll leave it at that, but I quite like the Willie character also. Um, 
Tom DeHaven, this, this book, sh- you know, it shakes out at, you know, 420 pages, I think it was. Tom DeHaven mentions that he had, his original draft was over a thousand, was around a thousand pages. I would like to read, it will never happen, I'm sure. Um, but it would be cool to read that because apparently there was, you know, there's a lot of material there that was cut out. I mean, maybe, maybe it wouldn't work well because it would be too bloated and, but apparently he, he, he mentioned, you know, um, in the interview with Comic Geek Speak, you know, he talked about cutting the book down and, and he didn't do as much trimming, you know, here or there, you know, it was sort of like whole cloth, you know, take this character out. And he was, he said that it's much easier sort of to edit a book and, you know, take out a lot of pages if you basically just sort of take out entire characters. So I, I it would be cool to someday if that ever happened. It probably wouldn't, it probably won't happen because the book works really well as, as it is. Um, it does sort of, but I can see where there are sort of, you know, jumps and there's sort of time gaps and, or like, uh, it, the book does, now that I know that even it sort of stands out even more that there, um, cause I, I didn't learn that Tom DeHaven's original, um, draft was over a thousand pages, but while reading it, I did notice, oh, okay. You know, um, we started a new chapter. The characters are now here. They sort of, um, you know, last chapter, last time we saw them, they were here at this point, and now they're here. There's probably more, a lot more connective tissue that <clears throat> was would have been in that longer draft. But I, this work, this book works really well. This book works really well as is. Um, just looking over, looking over my notes here, just real quick, because I've actually been talking off the cuff a lot, even though I have all these notes here next to me, but I um, haven't really needed my notes, but I'm sort of just glancing over just to check out if I if I have any notes before I wrap up this episode. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think I've covered everything I wanted to cover. Oh, I do have my notes here that I'd love to see this as a basis of a live action. Well, I sort of mentioned this earlier. I'd like to see this as a basis for a live action movie uh, you know, even set in a black, you know, set it in the thirties, make it black and white. I think that would really work for this story. Um, again, I'm just picturing the way that Mank, the David Fincher film on Netflix, the way that Mank was filmed. And I think this story would work really well if, you know, as a live action story, I was thinking, would it, I would really, if they're not going to do live action, I would prefer, you know, uh, Animation would be fine, but I really think this would shine as a live-action piece, a live-action period piece. Um, black and white would be awesome. I guess if they ever did it as an animated movie, it'd be kind of cool. But they wouldn't, and it would be watered. It would be too watered down because it would be aimed at the uh, kids market. Then I think. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, you know, I'm wrong there. As I'm speaking, I'll correct myself because. Those DC animated movies, they they're R rated sometimes. Even the, the the last one that just came out, um, um, Justice League, Justice League Apocalypse, um, or Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, or whatever it's called, the very last one, that was rated R. And um, but but even then, you don't have quite the sensuality and the sexuality that is here. I'd like to, I'd like that to be in the live action. I'd like it to be a Clark that we've never seen before. I'd like this to be. A Clark that's um, that's really um, given the character the 
characterization that we're, we see in this book and uh, and not afraid to, to show some adult themes and, and, and the violence that we see. Um, because it really is sort of a different type. I mean, it's not like over-the-top violence where you think like Amazon, even though I haven't watched it, I've heard a lot about, you know, Amazon's The Boys and the over-the-top this has a violence, but it's more a sort of gangster re- re- realistic violence. And I just think it would work really well as a live action, a, a, a live action film. I, I would love to see this done live action. So I think that's it. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do for my next episode. So um, right into the show, if you um, send me some feedback, um, blue gold podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear your thoughts and comments. If um, if you've read it, Superman, let me know what you think. It's funny if you go read if you go to Superman homepage and you read the reviews for this book. There's two reviews on Superman homepage. One is a sort of a glowing review, and one really rips this book apart. And so it's sort of funny. That's probably why they're both there, and just to give sort of um, contrasting uh, up, up opinions um, and. It's interesting to read the review that really um, the the writer of that review is really not a fan of this book at all, um, and so it was sort of uh, sort of fun to read those reviews uh, because it doesn't matter to me um, if a re- if somebody doesn't like things that I like, um, that's fine. And it's sort of interesting to read when somebody really critiques something that and didn't like something that I like at all um, to read that. So I got a kick out of reading just how bad they thought this book was. And I couldn't disagree more, really, but I sort of thought that was fun. So if you check out those reviews on the Superman homepage, um, all right, I think that's it. Send me some feedback. I hope everyone has a fantastic 2021, and I will see you next time.